Sports talk with a little bit of an edge. Can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Adam Crowley's not in again today for his own show, Rob Rossi, bringing you Rossi Radio here on ESPN Pittsburgh. And we're with you for the next three hours. We're in studio. I haven't been in studio in a while. Looking forward to hearing from you. Call us here at ESPN Pittsburgh, 412-922-2874. Phone number again, 412-922-2874. We got some college basketball action and I'll be uh, paying somewhat of attention to my alma mater, the West Virginia Mountaineers. They'll be tipping off here. But we got some good talk, sports yak, for you. Uh, this hour, we got Craig Custance from The Athletic to talk a little bit about the National Hockey League. We'll be talking some Steelers free agency, or lack thereof, with Joe Rudder of the Trib in the 5 o'clock hour. And because, you know, one of my loves is wrestling. We got Justin Labar in the 6 o'clock hour to talk a little bit about WrestleMania. You know him from the Pittsburgh Podcast Network. The reality check, Justin Labar. So, we got those guests, and they'll be fun. But in the meantime, we had a lot going on just since we last spoke. And that was yesterday. Since we last spoke, it sure seems like Pitt basketball has become a story worth paying attention to, does it not? Uh, not sure if you missed it, but there were reports that I think at least seven, maybe as many as eight players are being asked to, or have asked and been granted their release from scholarships to play basketball at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with how many young men it takes to fill out a basketball team at the collegiate level. But if you lose eight, that's a lot. Like, that's huge. Massive. My question is this. Why are these guys leaving? Is it a loyalty to Kevin Stallings? Because, I gotta be honest, coaches aren't loyal to players. Coaches take the first opportunity to bail. If you're committing because of a coach, you're making a mistake. Now, that said, Stallings didn't leave of his own accord. Pitt shows him the door. But you would have to think these eight returning players have another reason besides Kevin Stallings' departure for wanting to be on the move. Is it because they just don't want to be here? Is it because they don't feel that there is support from the athletic department is it because let's face it pit basketball is at a level that it hasn't been in a long time it's it's bad right now but i'm also wondering this are these guys reading some writing on the wall since we last spoke a pretty prominent pit grad might be available to the panthers If you were watching the games last night and you weren't at PPG Paints Arena, which, by the way, looked fantastic and sounded fantastic, at least from the television set, um, you might have watched the Arizona Wildcats 
lay an absolute egg. And let me say, for all of those out there in the animal community, I don't know if wildcats lay eggs. I actually think they give birth. So maybe we should find another way of saying it. The Arizona Wildcats uh, poo-pooed the uh, grassy knoll area. We'll go with that. Beaten down by Buffalo. Buffalo! Winner of one NCAA tournament game because they beat the Arizona Wildcats. Now, everything was fine and dandy with Arizona. The FBI scandal. Everybody had the support of Sean Miller. Everybody, you know, the the administration there looked into the findings or looked into the reports anyway that Miller was alleged to have offered players money to play there. They were fine with that. They were kosher with that. The talk was that Arizona, buoyed by this newfound connectedness, was going to go into this NCAA tournament and stick a collective middle finger in the face of the NCAA and the FBI. How dare you, right? And then they lay this egg. And now you look at Sean Miller's tenure at Arizona, and you're wondering if the people, the good people at Arizona, are going, uh, is this the guy to go forward with? I don't know if it is. Hasn't had a lot of success in the tournament. And you might argue, based off what you saw last night in the NCAA tournament, if you were the University of Pittsburgh and you were going to get your pick between the coach at Arizona or the coach at Buffalo, you'd go with the guy at Buffalo, right? Guy at Buffalo just whack a mold Sean Miller's team. But Pitt's in a unique situation here, right? Pitt is in the situation where you have to look at a Pitt Panther situation where they have to win the community before they win basketball games on a national level. They have to win the region before they can win enough to get back to where they want to be. And though there may be better fits for the University of Pittsburgh, though there may be better coaches for the University of Pittsburgh when you look at guys on the up as opposed to maybe guys on the way down, I'm here to tell you, sometimes the world works in funny ways that allows a guy to come home when it is the best thing for him and the right thing for his school. And I'm here to tell you, Pitt's the soft landing that Sean Miller needs to rehabilitate himself. And Sean Miller's the guy that can get everybody around here excited. And that's important. Because there's a lot of negativity around Pitt basketball right now. But at least it's a feeling. 
the last two years, for the most part, there's been no feeling whatsoever around that program. The Pete isn't occupied that much for Panthers men's home games. And while very few people go to watch a coach coach, bringing a guy like Miller home, that would get people excited. And I know that Miller hasn't won big at Arizona, but would you take what he's done at Arizona at Pitt? Yeah, you would. Now, look, the elephant in the room here, and it's a big one. It's a giant elephant, a huge, large elephant. But the elephant in the room here is that Can you trust Sean Miller? I don't know. I don't know what the FBI knows. I know that Arizona felt it could. And if if Sean Miller's not coaching at Arizona anymore, it's going to be because of basketball court stuff as much as off the court stuff, right? But, 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 if there's a chance Pitt can get Sean Miller... Pitt officials need to be on the phone right now trying to do the deal. And you know what? Do the deal and announce it this weekend with so many people paying attention to what's going on in Pittsburgh anyway. The NCAA tournament's here. Not saying you hire Sean Miller because it wins the press conference. I'm saying you hire Sean Miller because he's still a good basketball coach. He satisfies the alumni who want a pit guy. He satisfies the casual fans who connect him to a pretty good part of Pitt's past, but also know that he's won a lot. And he's going to get good players to come here right away. Arizona had good players. You could argue Sean doesn't win enough with those good players, but you know what? Eight guys just left the team. So right now, you need players. Whoever takes this job is going to need to bring in, like, the equivalent of two recruiting classes right away. Sean Miller can do that. And it's a nice story. It doesn't have to be forever. But it does have to be. If Sean Miller's available, Pitt needs to make that happen. And Pitt doesn't have to break the bank for Sean Miller, by the way. Shouldn't have to pay the break the bank for Sean Miller, by the way, because let's face it, Sean Miller's worth is at a is at a low right now. But this would be a move that paid well for Pitt. It would get people talking positively about Pitt basketball. It would get people excited about Pitt basketball. It might do for Pitt basketball what the return of Bob Huggins did for West Virginia basketball. It might do for Pitt basketball what bringing Roy Williams back to North Carolina did for the Tar Heels. Now, I'm not saying, like Huggins, Sean Miller is going to return to the Final Four with Pitt. Huggins did that at West Virginia. I'm not saying that, like Roy Williams... Sean Miller's going to come to Pitt and win three national titles. I'm just saying, there was a time when Roy Williams wanted to be at North Carolina, but his spot at Kansas wouldn't allow him. There was a time 
where Bob Huggins wanted to be at West Virginia, but his spot at Cincinnati wouldn't allow him. And there was a time, not that far and long ago, when Sean Miller may or may not have wanted to be at Pitt, but he was at Arizona. Roy Williams, the time was eventually right for him to come to North Carolina. Bob Huggins, the time was eventually right for him to come to West Virginia. Sean Miller, the time is right for him to come home. Finally, the Sean can come back to the University of Pittsburgh. Finally, the Sean can come back to Oakland. Finally, the Sean can come back home. Up until this moment, there was not a part of me who ever thought possible Sean Miller being the coach at Pitt. But it feels like that was a loss that ended an era at Arizona on Thursday night. And it looks like Pitt basketball is in a state of disarray. So it seems like Sean Miller a former star at the University of Pittsburgh and Pitt need each other in a way they may have not needed each other since Sean was a player. Since Sean was making those no-look passes and shooting those three-pointers and wearing that goofy undershirt underneath his uniform by the way why does sean wear an undershirt underneath his uniform but not under his dress shirt which he sweats through all the time the first thing we got to do is get sean an undershirt i'm not saying i have any connections i'm not saying i have any intel i don't know that sean miller's not going to be the coach at arizona i don't know that he's going to be the coach at Pitt. i'm just saying for the first time i think it makes sense Pitt needs a win. Sean Miller would be a win. And you know what Sean Miller needs right now? A win. And for him, Pitt isn't a downgrade. Home is not always where you want to be, but it's the place to go when things aren't great. You go home because you need family, you need friends, you need support. You need to get right. Sean Miller needs to get right. Pitt needs to find Sean Miller. Get him on a plane and not let him leave Pittsburgh until he has a deal to be the head coach of the Pitt Panthers. And if he does, that's going to be big news around here. And before Pitt can win in the ACC... The Panthers need to win around here. All right.
I'm Rob Rossi in for Adam Crowley. Follow me on the Twitter machine at real underscore Rob Rossi. When we come back, we are going to be talking with the one and only Craig Custance of The Athletic. We'll talk to him about the National Hockey League. Stick it right here. ESPN Pittsburgh. Now, here's everybody's favorite millennial. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. Welcome, 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 welcome back. All right. This is ESPN Pittsburgh. Adam Crowley's not in. Rob Rossi's in. So you get an upgrade. Hey, why not? The day before St. Patrick's Day Parade here in Pittsburgh. So we're all getting ready to have a little bit of fun. That's why we're going to go to the hotline next and welcome a good friend of mine from The Athletic, Craig Custance. Craig, an early happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Uh, Likewise, Rob. How are you, brother? Pretty good, my friend. Are you aware that Pittsburgh is home to the second largest St. Patrick's Day parade in the country? Did you know that? I didn't know. What's what's first, Chicago? Was uh, I believe River it's Chicago. Chicago, Pittsburgh, then Boston. Ah, I don't know if I would have known that about Pittsburgh. Yes, but well, I, I, I appreciate that bit of information, Craig. It might be that we're a good Irish town. It might be that we're a great drinking town. Which do you think it would be? <laughs> I said to Pittsburgh enough to know it's a pretty solid <laughs> drinking town. Holy smokes! Craig uh, Custance, my guest here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Uh, check out The Athletic. They have so many great writers and so many people doing so many great things. And Craig is one of them, but Craig's one of their best hockey guys. And Craig, I want to start off with a question that I've never been able to understand. I'm a voter. You're a voter. We've all been voters. Why is it some people say, I can't vote for a goalie for the heart unless it's a special circumstance because the goalie has his own award. I've also heard the same thing said about defensemen. They have their own award. Yet, every year, the leading scorer in the NHL seems to get a buy-in to being a finalist for the Hart Trophy. And I guess my argument is, the leading scorer has his own award, too. So, why isn't the same standard applied? I don't. Here's what I would say, Rob. First of all, you're talking to somebody who typically has a goalie on their in their heart ballot. But you're rare. I I have two, but you're rare. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But you know, so not to play semantics. So you think about the wording of the award. It's you know most valuable to their team, and I think you could always um, you could always argue that the goalie is. Yeah, you know, every single night is the most valuable. And in theory, you could have five goalies on your heart trophy ballot every single year because uh, the teams that are, are at the top of the standings probably are there because they have a great goalie. So, I mean, I, I guess you could, in theory, get carried away with it. I, like, I think it's a bit lazy for people that are just going to the NHL.com and sorting points and goals or whatever, and that's how they fill up their heart ballots. And I don't think people are doing that. But I, I do think you should have – Look hard at a defenseman, and and I can tell you, like I've had Carlson on my ballot in, in different years, mm-hmm. and and I've had goalies on my ballot, and it's it's an MVP award, and and I I don't think you should give one position any edge over the other. It strikes me as preposterous that Nick Lidstrom was never a finalist for the Hart Trophy, because to me there was about a seven year stretch where he was as valuable as any player in the world. Yeah. And that's what I always go back to. I'm not saying this year's a case, but I am saying this year, when you look at Kucherov, and I'm taking nothing away from him, but I don't know that I ascribe his value to the Lightning to be 
on par this year with Taylor Hall to the Devils, um, Nathan McKinnon to the Avalanche, Alex Ovechkin to the Capitals. I think he's lifting what has been a pretty underwhelming team this year. And I'll say this, and look, full disclosure, I, I'm writing Evgeny Malkin's autobiography, so I, you know, I, I acknowledge that. But the Penguins were a wildcard team before Malkin really started going to this level in late December, and since then, they've been pushed to a team that can qualify for the playoffs as a division winner. I, I'm not saying any are more deserving than Kucherov, but... I can make a case for any of those four, which would mean I'm leaving Kucherov down in like a fifth spot, and I don't think that's an absurd argument to have. No, and I don't like. Are people saying Kucherov is the runaway heart guy? No, like, no, 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 no. I'm not even saying this is a, dis- a debate this year. I just think if you look at it historically, the leading scorer is usually one of the three candidates, and I'm just suggesting that if that's not the case, that's not to knock the leading scorer. That's just to say that. I don't necessarily say leading scorer means you were most valuable to your team. Because on that particular team, they have a lot of great players. And if I'm going to use the argument in years past that Crosby and Malkin count each other out because they're both great players, shouldn't the same thing sort of apply in Tampa? Yeah. No, I think... Here's here's one of the things I do when I'm going over my heart trophy ballot and, and kind of the thought exercise is in in part of it again is part of the wording of the of the award but I'll sit there and go okay let me sub- subtract this guy from the equation this year mm-hmm. so let's take Kucherov away from the Tampa Bay Lightning how much worse off are they and in this case I'm probably you know I mean they're they're worse off but I, they're probably still a playoff team I mean they have so many other pieces there um, and, and you know in theory you could probably have argued that and against a guy like Malkin because you know take Malkin away from the Penguins well. Funny, it seems like Crosby always seemed to put up more points than Malkin was gone. So, so maybe that works against them. Now take Taylor Hall away from the Devils, and holy smokes, right. like that's a that's a bad that's a that's a team that's probably picking in the top five. And you know, so when when you think of it like that, and that's kind of those are that's sometimes my thought process. I would probably look harder at a Taylor Hall, and and where where maybe it doesn't work is, and, and this is maybe another debate we could have, but you know, take Connor McDavid away from from the Oilers right. and they're still an awful, like they're a bad team, take them away. They're still bad. But I, I think there's, there may be a compelling case that he is the most valuable player in the league. This there year, may so. be. I, I tend to go this. I tend to value being in the playoffs. Yeah, That's I sort do. of where I draw the line. Um, now that said, I, I also think, you know, there's not a best player award. And maybe there should be. Maybe we should create the best player award. I, I tend to think the players um, with the Lindsay Award tend to, at times, differentiate between the writers. You know, yeah. they, they get to vote sort of for who they think is the best player, and that's why sometimes you get different winners of those awards. And I'm not saying it's... Look, I like the fact that going into the final three weeks of this regular season, I don't know who's going to be the three Hart Trophy finalists, and I can't remember the last time I was this unsure who it would be. Can you? Yeah, it's it's been. I'm trying to remember. I think the year that Tavares was the final. Right. I remember I I was flying to cover a playoff series, and I'm like, I think I was flying to Denver. I had like four hours. I had my ballot, and I'm like, I have four hours to figure out who it's going to be. And after already weighing on it, and having a bunch of calls to coaches and GMs, mm-hmm. and I got off that plane, I still was like. I don't even, I don't right. know. And it was, 
And it, so then you do kind of, you end up making these arbitrary rules. And I know fans get mad about that. If you're like, what does the guy have, what does the playoff team have to do with it or not? Like, why does that matter for Connor McDavid? Well, when you're sitting here going, who do I leave off a ballot in the top five where there's five really good deserving people to mention, Ovechkin and Hall and all these guys and Malkin, then you do have to kind of apply these, these somewhat arbitrary rules to it just to, to break the tie. Craig Cousins, my guest here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Follow him. Craig, what is your Twitter account? I never know what everybody's Twitter account is. Oh, it's fine. It's at Craig Cousins. At Craig Cousins. So you get an easy one. Yeah. Some people have really yeah. hard ones. I have a really hard one. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, Craig, the thing about the NHL is we have all these wonderful young players, and I think in a way it's almost been easy to forget just how historically great Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, and Evgeny Malkin have been. Um, and I, I, I know that sounds absurd, because certainly with Ovechkin and Crosby, they've received the bulk of the attention in this league since they've come into it. But Alex Ovechkin might be the last 700-goal scorer we ever see. Um, mm-hmm. Evgeny Malkin and Alex Ovechkin are probably going to finish 1-2 amongst Russian-born scorers. They might be 1-2 among European-born scorers, when all is said and done, I know they got a while to catch Yager, but sensational players. I was doing the math yesterday, Craig. Since the lockout of 2004-05, Sidney Crosby's topped 100 points five times. If Evgeny Malkin gets there this year, he'll match Alex Ovechkin with four. The only other player after those three with multiple 100-point seasons is Joe Thornton. So, this is special. And yeah. I, I think sometimes we lose sight of how good they are historically. Um, and I just wonder, you know, you've, you live in a town and have seen a team like Detroit where there have been so many great players. Do you get that same sense that I do that maybe we, it's easy to overlook just how historically great these particular three have been? You know what, I think it's hard to do it in the moment. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm saying? When you're, you're right in it, and, and even look at what the Penguins have done as a team. I mean, it, we completely take it for granted. And you right. know, back-to-back cup champions in a, in a cap era where there's so much parity from top to bottom in the league, and you hear that about that nonstop. And here, here they are with an opportunity to have a three-peat. And, and uh, too often, you know, and I'm probably guilty of this as anybody, is you know you're looking for the next story, or here's you know here's a great guy on, on the island who's, who looks like a future star, and Taylor Hall or whatever. Right. And and you sit there because how many you know how many Sidney Crosby stories can you write? How many of these conversations do we have about Malkin and, and you know and Ovechkin? And and so you end up wanting to focus on whatever's new. And I think what ends up happening is you know history. It's gonna be one of those things where history is very kind. Where you bring up Nicholas Lidstrom years after he's retired. But like, in the moment, he, even when he was winning all those Norrises, I, he was probably underappreciated. Right. But now that he's gone, you've seen the impact. I, I mean, I'm, I'm living it in Detroit, where th- that franchise, once he left, they went from a team that was, was head and shoulders the cup favorite to you know now where they are now. And part of it was Dapsuk leaving, and then now well, Zetterberg that's kind of true, declining. Craig, but, but we also live in a world where Ovechkin is penalized for not winning a championship, and I've always argued, look, Alex's three best teams happen to be situated that they had to play Crosby's three best teams mm-hmm. in the second round. Um, you know, yeah. sometimes life stinks. Malkin was left off the NHL 100. I mean, it's inexplicable to a lot of us, 
but it happened. And even Crosby, I, I think in some, look, the second Con Smythe changed it, but if that didn't happen, I mean, I'm not sure Crosby would be talked about the way he is historically. It, it took that. So, <laughs> Rob, Rob, wait, wait, wait. You're, uh, if you're trying to tell me that Sidney Crosby is underappreciated no, no, in the no. hockey world, I, you're going to have to do I'm not, under, not underappreciated, but I would argue that Sidney Crosby's been every bit that he was advertised to be, and I don't know if people look at him that way. He was thought, um, I mean, his injuries have, are what prevented him from racking up more trophies racking up more points, but he was sought, thought to be the next one, and very few guys who have been put in that position have lived up to it, and he has. Yeah. And I don't know that people yeah. think that of Crosby all the time. I think they do. Okay. I, but now. Like, I live, but now. I, I live in a city that hates Sidney Crosby, right? right? Like in Detroit, where they're, they're mad they didn't, he didn't shake enough hands or whatever right. it was in 2009. And I, you know... And then you run into him like, oh, but he's, he's so good. Like, yeah. like I, I still think there's this, this appreciation that we're seeing the best player of our generation right now in, in Pittsburgh and in Sidney Crosby. I think I was definitely interested to see in that, in that NHL, NHLPA players poll mm-hmm. how there was, there was a percentage of current players who thought he was the best of all time. Right. I, I, that really yeah, that's ludicrous to me. to me, too, because like I watched Gretzky and Lemieux, yeah. and I can tell you – uh, maybe I'm a prisoner of my own childhood, but I happen to believe Gretzky and Lemieux would have done what they did in any era. And that's not to take right. anything away from Sidney Crosby. I just but think a, li- a little perspective votes, would be. <laughs> I mean, he's getting those votes. He's in, yeah. he, he, he's in that conversation. So that, to me, I, I, I do think there's an appreciation. I, I think the argument you can make is, for, is more on the Malkin side, where right. you, you mentioned the top 100. Like, that's ludicrous. Right. And... And I, you know, this, this, the fact that anybody wants to argue that Ovechkin hasn't won a Stanley Cup as some sort of indictment on him as a player is ludicrous. So, I think there's, if you know, this is, you know, I think there's a proper amount of respect for Sidney Crosby, and I think part of it is because he he has the gold medals and he right. scored the big goals, and he has, so he he he's checked all the boxes that people that want to assign respected players have to check, and maybe you know the fact that. Ovechkin hasn't won a Stanley Cup. There's people holding out that you know that refuse to kind of acknowledge his greatness for some reason. And, and I guess where I get at it, Craig, and maybe maybe this is the way to think about it. We're talking with Craig Custins here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Follow him on Twitter at Craig Custins. Follow the Athletic, theAthletic.com. Craig, I guess maybe where I stand on it is this: we're seeing three, in my mind, three top twenty-five players, and I think Connor McDavid's going to be fantastic. I think he may be a top 25 player when all said and done, but we're seeing three and they came into the league within a year of one another. And even into their thirties, they're not letting up. And that's rare. That's really rare to see guys at this age, having played this many seasons, Crosby still considered the best player. Malkin's chasing a third scoring title and Ovechkin's chasing a what? Sixth goal scoring championship. I mean, this is really rare. This is a real treat. Yeah. I hope hockey so that, fans appreciate that. <laughs> that's the story to me, is that here we are in this era of the league gets a mile per hour faster every single year. These young kids come in, and these guys that you know were the players of their generation refuse to give an inch. And I, maybe that's what's, what's going unappreciated, where we, you know, the analytics side, we sit there and look at the numbers, and we say, 
the, the peak of a player is 24 years old and 20, maybe 25, or whatever it is. And here these guys are still every much, you know, very much at the top of their game. When we're starting to watch their contemporaries, like if you look at the people that were on these Olympic rosters in 2010 or whatever with these guys, mm-hmm. are starting to trail off. And, yeah. and I think that, that to me, like, you know, I saw somebody kind of extrapolate the numbers on Ovechkin and how many goals he has to score to, to move up the rec- you know, into his 40s. And I'm sitting there going, boy, for the first time in my life, I'm thinking maybe he could pull it off because, you know, we, we, we were writing stories about how the team, the league had figured him out a few years ago and, oh, that he has that one shot through the defenses, whatever it was. And it's like, no, actually, we're, we're wrong. Or there was something you know, occurred to me cross- this week, Craig, yeah. that yeah. Alex Ovechkin could finish as the. Th- I think it's reasonable to think Alex Ovechkin will be the third player to score 800 goals and that Marc-Andre Fleury will be the, what, third goalie to win 500 games. Yeah. And that's, in this league, that's something. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's, and we don't talk about that a lot with wins with goalies anymore either, but I think it's harder to win games now because of the shootout. So, well, and it's, and it's a bad stat, but that's yeah. an argument. For well, it is a bad stat, but I'm saying, I mean, just to get to that discussion, I mean, just you have to play 60 games a year to win 35 a year. I mean, it's <laughs> right, this right. is a really good era for the NHL, is what I'm saying. If you're a hockey fan, you've had it pretty good. We're hard it on is. this league a lot, but this has been pretty was, good. Right. And so, like, in, in my opinion, the league succeeds in spite of itself. Right. Lot, you know, well, that's a fact. That's not an opinion. <laughs> right. Like, even going back to the point you make about the playoffs, like, here we are um, a, a year removed from Pittsburgh having to play Washington in the second round. Uh, I'm going to the GM's meeting in Boca Raton on, on Monday, and my guess is there's going to, if it's not on the agenda, they, there's going to be a lot of talk at bars among the GMs about finding some solution here because if you talk about these great players and these all time players, and the fact that that one of them in Ovechkin have to go through the other in, in round two is is absurd. It is. Although, I'll say this. Makes round two real interesting every year. <laughs> I guess. I it guess. does. I mean, I... If that's what you're going for. I'm not that. saying that's the case. I'm just saying that's... that. I You know what? Maybe I'm just spoiled, but I kind of like knowing that after the first round, I get to see that. So... Yeah. I guess that's I'd rather it. see it as opposed to not to the chance of not seeing it. And we only got it once in the first, what, 10 years that they were, eight, nine years that they were in the league together? So, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. No, so. I, hear, I mean, maybe that's the argument for it, but boy, if, if I'm Barry Trotz and I'm trying to keep my job. <laughs> well, that's different. You know, Rob Rossi's entertainment is pretty low on my... Well, you know what? Uh, I think Barry and I see things differently <laughs> anyway. So, uh, all right, Craig, enjoy the uh, fun and sun of Boca Raton, my friend. Uh, we'll see you down the line in the playoffs. That's Craig Custance. This is ESPN Pittsburgh. Is the Adam Crowley Show. Oh, no, 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 no. On ESPN Pittsburgh, the iHeartRadio app. Is Adam in San Diego? Is that why he's not here? Did he go out to see the Mountaineers? West Virginia leads Murray State 18-12 to if you're following along. Which I don't know how you would be unless you're watching the game and listening to the radio, which is cool, but could be confusing. I'm talking on the radio and watching the game, and I have to be completely honest, I'm not entirely sure what's going on. Adam Crowley's not in for his own show. Shocker! 
Rob Rossi is. Thanks to Craig Customs, who joined us last segment. Some good hockey talk. Was I, Rob Rossi, the man who people in Pittsburgh know has at times gone to war with one Mr. Sidney Patrick Crosby? Was I on the other end of the argument arguing for him being underappreciated? Did that just happen? Cats and dogs living together. I do think Sidney Crosby's underappreciated. I'm sorry, I do. I. When you come into this league, and and Wayne Gretzky has said, this guy's going to break all my records. That's a lot of pressure. And here's the thing. Crosby's not going to break all of Gretzky's records. Might end up with more Stanley Cup wins than Gretzky, but he's not going to top the points and the goals and all that. I mean, Gretzky's records are about as untouchable as untouchable gets in sports. But the implication was that Sidney Crosby was going to be the player of his generation. The implication was that Sidney Crosby was going to be the best player in the National Hockey League for decade plus, the implication was that Sidney Crosby was a guy that could be one day discussed as one of the best players of all time. And I have to be completely honest with everybody. If you think you can make a list of the greatest players of all time, you have to be about 100 years old. Because that's how old you'd have to be to have seen all of the great NHL players. But since few of us are, I'm going to give you my top five. I'm going to give you my top five right now of the five greatest hockey players of all time. And then I want you to call in at 412-922-2874. 412-922-2874 and tell me where I'm wrong. Number five on my list, Sidney Crosby. I think he is the fifth greatest hockey player in the history of the sport. Five times in his career, he has topped the 100-point plateau in a league where scoring has not been easy. Back-to-back Conn Smythe winner. Not a lot of guys that have done that. Talking Mario Lemieux. Talking Bernie Perrant. Captain of three Stanley Cup teams. Captain a team to a fourth Stanley Cup final where they lost to one of the great teams of the modern era, the Detroit Red Wings. His teams have made the playoffs all but one of his seasons. And that was when he was a rookie when he joined a team that was a mess. And he's the greatest international hockey player who's ever existed for the greatest hockey country, which is Canada. I'm not sure he's the greatest international player of all time, but he's the greatest Canadian international player. And Canada, much to my dismay, remains the greatest hockey place in the galaxy. So I got Sidney Crosby at number five. Number four. Number four, I got Patrick Waugh. 
Now, I know a lot of people think, hey, it's pretty high for a goalie, but this is a goalie that's won the Conn Smythe three times. If you watched the Montreal Canadiens win the Stanley Cup in 1993, you saw them win 11 games in overtime. Their philosophy was get to overtime and our goalie won't allow a goal. That's how they won the Stanley Cup. He also won the Stanley Cup and the Conn Smythe in 1986, the Montreal Canadiens, as a rookie, I believe. And when he went to Colorado, he was the reason that team figured out how to win the Stanley Cup for the first time. And he won another cup with Colorado. So, yeah, I, Patrick Waugh, to me, is the one goalie you would put in the net to win any game. And it's the most important position in the sport, so I'm going to put him fourth. So, again, Rob Rossi here in for Adam Crowley telling you about my top five NHL players all time. Number five, we should tweet this out, by the way. We should tweet this out at uh, ESPN Pittsburgh. Uh, so I got Sidney Crosby five, Patrick Waugh four. Number three... This is going to cause some controversy. Wayne Gretzky. Now look, Wayne Gretzky has every record that you could possibly have. More scoring titles than anybody. Pretty much is the reason he should be the Hart Trophy. I mean, literally, the Hart Trophy should be a picture of Wayne Gretzky. I think he won it nine times. And I should qualify this by saying, I think the top three players are interchangeable. If I can listen to an argument for anything. But for me, Gretzky's the third greatest player of all time. And the reason I would say is, I just don't think physically he was as good as the two guys I'm going to put at two and one. But if you want to argue with me that Wayne Gretzky is the greatest player of all time, I can't give you a whole lot of reasons why I would say you're wrong. He's Wayne Gretzky. He's the great one. The Edmonton Oilers were a juggernaut when he was there. It took weird things for them not to win. They had to overcome a dynasty in the Islanders, and then they went on to win, what, four of the next Six Stanley Cup championships. So, uh, yeah, they're pretty good. He's the most important hockey player of all time. Without him, I don't know if this league exists today. Wayne Gretzky's the reason the NHL pretty much exists as one of the big four. But he's number three on my list. Number two. This one may cause more controversy in Pittsburgh than Wayne Gretzky does uh, at number three. Number two, I'm putting Mario Lemieux. The single most dominant hockey player we've ever seen. At his peak, he was the best scorer, the best playmaker, the best skater. He was a big man, six foot four, that had the skill of a smaller man, the softest hands we've ever seen. 
played on some wretched teams for the first seven years of his uh, first six years of his career. Ultimately, won the Stanley Cup two years in a row with a franchise that, by all accounts, was a joke. When the Penguins drafted Mario Lemieux, they were as bad as any franchise in any sport. Mario Lemieux won a scoring title after sitting out a full season following a season in which he played about 22 games. Mario Lemieux then then took off three and a half years and came back and scored 76 points in 35 games. One of two players, along with Gretzky, ever to average two points per game. The only reason they didn't finish with two points per game, both of them, is because they played so long into their 30s. He's a right-handed centerman, which is rare in this league, who dominated. Look at his numbers and compare them to his games played. It is baffling. And he is the single scariest offensive player that's ever existed. Ask any goalie that went against him. It wasn't how Mario Lemieux was going to beat you. It was how bad he was going to make you look. So, in my top five, we've got Crosby fifth, Waugh fourth, Gretzky third, Lemieux second, and my number one hockey player of all time for the National Hockey League, Bobby Orr. Look, Bobby Orr won scoring titles as a defenseman. To put that in perspective, that would be like a running back leading the NFL in passing. He's a defenseman who won scoring titles. Only Lemieux was as was his superior in terms of individual brilliance. And since I'm a believer that defense is the most important position in hockey, not goal, since I'm a believer that if you have a number one defenseman, that is the one thing you would give up your life as a general manager and a coach to have, right? The number one defenseman. If you can have a number one defenseman who was also the best offensive player in the world, and could redefine what you expect of a defenseman because he could go out there and not only lead the rush, but be the catalyst for your offense? I'm sorry. That, to me, gives him the slight nod. He'd play more minutes than Lemieux or Gretzky in a game, and he was just as good offensively. At a position where the offense wasn't supposed to come from that position. But, If you want to go Lemieux or Gretzky or Gretzky or Lemieux or whatever, I'm fine with it. But again, I got Bobby Orr first, Mario Lemieux second, Wayne Gretzky third, Sidney Cross, or excuse me, Patrick Waugh fourth, and Sidney Crosby fifth. That is my all time NHL top five. We come back. I'll take calls on yours. We'll also get more into. The Pitt basketball situation and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Adam Crowley's out. Rob Rossi's in. This is ESPN Pittsburgh.